0: So we're going to continue that, uh, Psalms 42 and 43, if you want to turn there. have a few things to share with you from these psalms. These two psalms especially are uh, unique as they are psalms from the sons of Korah. Psalms from the sons of Korah. So uh, typically with a psalm, you'd be able to anchor that in David's life somewhere. With these two, Nope. Uh, we have the Sons of Korah, and now the question is, are they the Korah from Numbers? the Korah from Chronicles? And the answer is, we don't know. Uh, so we do know that they're the Sons of Korah, and some, some context in the psalm gives us uh, that there was some aspect of worship that these people would um, participate in. And we we knew that they were near the temple in some regard, but that's pretty much what we know from the context of this psalm. So as we go through this, there's going to be, there's going to be significance to uh, worship and how we worship, how the sons of Korah worshiped, and significance to how do we deal with uh, difficulty? How do we deal with people taunting us? How do we deal with uh, worship and asking God for deliverance? We're going to look at that here at the end. Point number one in your sermon notes. The psalmist reflects a deep longing for God, as well as an honest reflection of his current difficulties. That's going to go from verses 1 through 5. Uh, those of you that are curious about how we're going to break this down, there is a uh, repeated verse in, in this Psalm in 43. Three times that happens. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you a turmoil within me? Hope in God. That happens three times, and so we're going to use those natural breaks as three sections and uh, look at how each of those sections is unique in its own way. Psalm 42, verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? and my God. Immediately, this psalm begins with imagery that if you've spent uh, time in the church, you know well. We have songs after this. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. The song is aptly named as the deer. And this psalmist uses this imagery to say there's, there's a deep longing and need for sustaining through his relationship with the Lord. This imagery is also used elsewhere in Psalms. Psalm 63, 1. And it's not unique specifically to psalms to use water as a way of yearning for the Lord. In fact, Jesus himself uses water as a means of saying there's eventual permanent sustenance. John 4, at the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus talks about living water. Here in this context, the psalmist is using this to depict a dependence and a need for God. A dependence and a need for God. The deer pants for water. And so in the same way that a deer needs water and looks for it and longs for it and makes its inhabitants around it, so my soul imitates the same means with you, Lord. My soul needs you like a deer needs water. If a deer doesn't have water... It dies. If your soul doesn't have the Lord, you are spiritually dead. The psalmist knew this. And as this is a psalm of lament, he begins with this imagery to say, my soul needs you, Lord. In the midst of difficulty, the psalmist jumps straight to, I am dependent fully on you. Now we might see lament as as a means of complaining and, and bringing Um, a list of wrongs God has done to him. Habakkuk does a similar thing. God, why is it like this? Why are the enemies winning? What's going on? This psalmist begins with, look, I am downcast. I'm hurt. I'm in lament because I need to be near to you. We're going to see him flesh that out. My soul is dependent on you. His soul pants for the Lord. He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before the Lord? The psalmist says his soul thirsts for God, and then he emphasizes by placing another word in there, the living God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God, the one who's alive, the one who's active, the one who can do things and does do things. The living God. Active, intervening, present in his life, interacting. His longing is not to be removed from the situation so that he feels like he has a better life. His longing is to appear before the Lord. And this is something that as I meditated on and and studied this passage for the past two weeks, Stuck out to me. The point that the psalmist is making is that he doesn't desire to be removed or delivered from situations so that he can feel better and be happier. His desire to be removed and delivered from situations is so that he can be back in the presence of God. We're going to talk about that in the application section at the end. The psalmist desires to be in the presence of God. When shall I come and appear before God? When shall I come and appear? Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The most familiar thing to him, the most constant thing in his life has been his tears. Has been mourning, suffering, Imagery used by the psalmist to emphasize the state that he's in is sorrow. It's consistent. He says the enemies come in and they ask him this question all the day long, where is your God? And 24-7, day and night, he's spending in tears because the truth is he's asking himself the same question. That the enemies come in and they say, where is your God? And the psalmist says, I don't know. Sometimes he wonders himself. Part of him feels that same question. So what does he do with that? Where is your God? Enemies are asking. People are coming in. They're provoking him. Encouraging that question, encouraging that doubt. Where is your God? Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So the psalmist faces difficulty. He faces this question, where is your God? His tears have been his food night and day. And his response in this frustration with God isn't, stay away from me. It's, I remember what it's like to be in your presence. I remember what it's like to be with multitudes, keeping festivals, joyful times in the Jewish calendar where they would celebrate what God has done. He remembers what the Lord has done. And his longing and his desire is to be back in that presence. God, my tears have been my food night and day. My enemies are asking me, where is your God? But these things I remember. How I would lead people in singing praises to you. How there would be multitudes of people singing praises to you. Keeping festival, joyful Times of remembrance. In the midst of the difficulty, what the psalmist clings to and remembers is that God is worthy to be praised and he desires to be back in that place. God, things are hard. Tears have been my food. The enemies are around me. The enemies are making me question. Yet here I am, wishing that I was back in your presence singing worship to you. Longing for that. What a unique way to lament. He remembers leading people in singing. Being in that place where several thousands of people would be singing in the temple. He refers to it as the house of God. He says multitudes keeping festival, and this uh, can mean several different festivals. He doesn't specify, but we can imagine that if it's multitudes and they're near the temple, it would be uh, something like Passover, um, some huge, significant Jewish festival where they would be celebrating there at the house of the Lord. What's unique about this house of God imagery that he's going to flesh out again a little bit more in the next section is the house of God in the Old Testament is where the presence of God dwelt. And so what he's remembering is being near the presence of God and leading people in worship and his longing is to be back in that place. Now, as New Testament believers, we, we have a little bit of a different reality where our longing to be in the presence of God doesn't get fulfilled by us going to Jerusalem or coming even to this building. Rather, the Holy Spirit, um, through the grace of God, has given us the ability to be in the presence of God everywhere. So we don't have to go to the temple, rather we live in that reality where it's more accessible. So a little bit of a disconnect here between us and him, but the same reality of longing to be back in that presence, longing to be back in that place. Verse 5, this is this is the one of the center points of this psalm. You're going to see it again three times. Um it's going to keep appearing and it's sort of the the heart cry, the echo that the psalmist gives. This is the question. This is his complaint. This is his uh, anchoring point. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There's, there's not sound reason for the psalmist to be in turmoil. He knows who his God is. He knows the God he serves. He knows where his presence is. And logically and in his head, the reality is that God is still the same. So he looks inwardly and he says, why are you cast down? Why is my soul in turmoil? Why is there such difficulty? And he reminds himself of the truth, hope in God. Why are you cast down? Why are you depressed? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. My salvation, the one who saves, the one who delivers, and my God. The un, the, the, it's not unique. The, the thing that the psalmist is feeling is a disconnect between his head and his heart. Why are you cast down on my soul? This doesn't make sense to be this sorrowful. Hope in God, the one who saves, the one who delivers. You will again see him, you will again praise him. But it doesn't change the fact that his soul is cast down. In this moment, his soul is cast down. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? God is the one who brings salvation. God's the one who, in whom there's hope. And He's the one whom we'll again praise. My salvation and my God. He is my hope. He is my God, the psalmist says. I, I want to address this a little bit more in the application section as well. But I think that what the psalmist is feeling here isn't unique. I think that we as, as modern day believers also feel cast down and in turmoil. And there's moments where we don't and then we turn on the news or go on social media and then we do. Uh, and we can ask, why are you so cast down? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. God's the one who can handle this, not us. Talk about that again a little bit later as we finish this and get a full picture of how the promise deals with this exact heart posture. Point number two, section number two here in this psalm. The psalmist anchors himself in the Lord and remembers to worship Him despite circumstances. That is some interesting spacing on those notes. Microsoft Word is doing wonders again. The psalmist anchors himself in the Lord and remembers to worship Him despite circumstances. Those three blanks are anchors, remembers, and despite. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Verse 6, he remembers the Lord. In the midst of his cast down soul, his action step, my soul is cast down, therefore, this is my present circumstances, my action step, my my move to the future, to look up and say, Therefore, I remember. My soul is cast down, therefore I remember. Imitate that heart posture of the psalmist. In the midst of that, his action is to remember the Lord. In a season of bitter turmoil, he remembers the Lord. From where? From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Can anybody tell me where Mount Mazar is? Probably not. This is the only occurrence in Scripture of Mount Mazar. Uh, yeah, trick question. Got you. Um, Mount Mazar, it, it basically can be translated to low hills. Um, this is imagery to say he's he's far away he's far away from the temple from Jordan from Mount Hermon the distance from the presence of God is far and so it's from here that he's remembering the Lord remembering what it's like to be back in his presence from Jordan from Mount Hermon from Mount Mazar I remember I remember you Soul's cast down remembers the Lord from these faraway places here's still his reality deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your waves have gone over me he's in turmoil he's having difficulty but God is active he's far away from the house of the lord he's far away from his presence he's overwhelmed by circumstances Yet he remembers some things about the Lord. Verse 8, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I'm distant from you, God. I'm far away from your temple. I'm far away from your dwelling, from your presence. But the reality is, by day the Lord is commanding His steadfast love, and at night His song is over me. Still, still, The enemies are around him. They're taunting him. Where is your God? Why is my soul downcast? My enemies taunt. I ask myself the same questions. Yet by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. That's grace. And at night, his song sings over me. Just because this is how the psalmist feels doesn't mean it's reality. I tell the youth all the time, emotions are a great thing that the Lord has given us, but they can't be the engine that drives the train. So this is what the psalmist is doing. He's working through these things. I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling distant from God. I'm feeling cast down. But the engine that's driving the train is that God is present and working. That he's commanding his steadfast love. That by night, his, his song is over me. A prayer to the God of my life. God is in control over His life. The Lord is still working. So here the psalmist continues. Verse 9. Still, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Emotions can't be what drives the train. Yet the reality and the truth of what he's feeling is that he's feeling forgotten. He knows he's not. That last verse means that he knows he's not intellectually in his mind. He knows that God is commanding a steadfast love. He knows that at night his song is with him. But why do I go on mourning? God, my rock, my my place and where there's refuge and where there's safety, why have you forgotten me? Why is evil winning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Why are the enemies having any say or standing in his life? God, I know these things are true about you. I know that you command your steadfast love. I know that your song is with me. I know that in you there's refuge. I know that in you there's peace and satisfaction and that's where true joy is found. Yet it seems like evil's winning. God had an interesting answer to Habakkuk when Habakkuk asked the same question. If you would only see what I'm doing in your day. You can only see the bigger picture. I think the psalmist's desire here is also to see that bigger picture. And that's why he's crying out to God. He's not sitting at home saying, well, why is evil winning? I don't know. I guess God doesn't know what he's doing. No, the psalmist is there saying, why is evil winning? These things are all true about God. Therefore, that's not a constant. That's not going to be the end of the day. Verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The same thing that he used in verse 3, he's bringing up again, and now he's using deeper, more impactful language. This this taunt, this hurt, isn't skin deep. It's as if there's a deadly wound in my bones. Because the constant situation that the psalmist is in, is having enemies and evil taunt. So he connects his hurt to cutting deep into his bones all the way through. Deadly wound. The adversaries are taunting him and persecutors are asking him the same question, where is your God? And again, I think part of him wonders the same thing. I think that's why he's here and that's why he's bringing it up. Where is your God? Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. He comes back to this same place. And we talked about this in verse Five, we're going to talk about it in verse 11. We're going to talk about it again in verse 5 of Psalm 43. Why are you cast down? It seems like he gave a few good reasons. The enemies are asking, where is your God? So why is his soul cast down? Those reasons aren't good enough. Those reactions, those, those words aren't significant enough. When paired with the truth of who God is, why are you cast down on my soul when God is working and He's commanding His steadfast love? When at night His song is singing over me? Why are you cast down? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. We're going to jump into 43 here. My intention originally when I chose these psalms was to do 42. And then as I was studying and I looked at 43, it doesn't make sense to keep it separated. Um, so we're going to do 43 as well because it connects and kind of finishes this cry of the sons of Korah. That Why is my soul cast down? Here he leaves it off of my adversaries are taunting me. In the next section, he's going to be asking God for help. Vindicate me, O Lord. Deliver me. And then we're going to see the purpose of why he asked for that, which is unique. So we're going to do four to three as well. Um, Point number three in your notes, the psalmist requests action from the Lord and looks to the future. So those two blanks are action and looks. So right before that last uh, repeat of that same why are you cast down? Remember he left off, "As with a deadly wound in my bones my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long where is your God? Repeating that same thing from verse three. And so... That's what he's feeling. That's where he's at. He knows God is living. He knows God's active. He knows God commands a steadfast love. He knows that God's song is over him. And so, make some requests of God. And that's what he's going to do here. Verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. He asks for vindication. He asks that God would have... Uh, a a freedom-giving of the psalmist. That he would have vengeance on these people. That the psalmist would be saved. And again, he's referred to God as his salvation earlier. So he knows that God saves. Because the enemy is winning. This deceitful, ungodly people, this unjust man is winning. So he asked God, defend my cause, vindicate me, because evil is winning. And with God... Evil never fully wins. He is dealing with it. Verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. That repeat of verse 9 from 42 there. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Again, we've talked about that this is what the psalmist is feeling. This is not the reality of what God has done. God has not looked at the psalmist and said, we're done with you, we're rejecting you. God has looked at the psalmist and is doing a bigger plan that the psalmist doesn't know about. And so the psalmist feels these things despite knowing his truth. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? You are the God in whom I go to for safety and security, for peace. Why does it feel like that's not a safe, secure place where there's peace? Why do I go about mourning when I have a God who can save? Why am I experiencing bitterness and turmoil when I know I have a God who can save? I know I've already talked about Habakkuk a lot. But one of the unique things about Habakkuk is he doesn't get a why. He doesn't get an explanation for why things are happening. God just says, Look, I'm going to fix it in the future. Job doesn't get a why. The psalmist here may have never been given a why. But what he knows about God is true. That in God, there's refuge, in God, there's salvation. And God, there's steadfast love. So maybe he doesn't get the why, but he knows the who. And for him, that's contentment. Verse 3, because he knows the who, this is what he asks from him. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling What an interesting word. He asked the Lord for help. Send out your light. Send out your truth. These two things are going to help vindicate him. Light, to illuminate the darkness that the psalmist is currently enduring. Truth, to stand against the shouts of the enemy that ask, where is your God? Send out your light. Send out your truth. Help me. Why does he ask for these things? Send out your light. Send out your truth. Let them lead me so that I can be happy and live a better life. So that I can be in a place where I can start saving for my retirement. So that I can come to your holy hill and worship you. God, deliver me from the present circumstances where evil is winning. Where the enemy asks me, where is your God? Where the hurt is so deep that it's hurting my bones. Where I question Where are you? Why do I go about mourning when I have a God who saves? The whole purpose of his salvation and vindication is not so that he can be okay again and emotionally stable. The purpose of his salvation and vindication is so that he can go to the Lord's holy hill and worship. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Dwelling's pretty significant for the Lord in Scripture. In Genesis, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Exodus, he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and dwelt in the tabernacle. In most of the rest of the Old Testament, he lived in the temple. In the New Testament, he walks among his people and dwells with them. For the church, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. It seems like the heart cry of the psalmist knows the significance of this dwelling. That that's where there's peace and that's where there's refuge. And that's where there's contentment. Lord, take me back to your dwelling. I think the, one of the most significant things about this psalmist and this these set of psalms is the way that he views circumstances and change isn't treating the cause but going to the root. And he's saying the reason why I'm not satisfied or content is because I'm not in your presence. Not because enemies are shouting at me. It's because I'm not with you. So lead me back to your dwelling. And this is one of the most simple truths that we know from all of Scripture, and that Jesus even tells us in Revelation that that's where the dwelling place of God will be, is with man forever. Yet we don't always see resolution to problems as being back in the presence of God, or being near his dwelling But the psalmist did. And maybe that's the heart cry of every follower of God. The reason why there's discontentment and dissatisfaction with circumstances is because you're not focusing on worshiping the Lord. Your desire to be delivered from those things isn't so that you can worship the Lord undistracted. It's so that you feel a little bit better and can sleep a little easier. The Lord is going to vindicate and save this psalmist so that he can be in his presence, near his dwelling. Verse 4. Then, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. He wants to be in the presence of God. He asks these questions. Why have you rejected me? Where are you? Why do I go on mourning? Why have you forgotten me? Why are my enemies winning? But in none of those things is it, Lord, I'm upset with you. How dare you? I don't know if I want to be near you. It's, I need to be near you. That's his longing. He wants to go to the altar. Sacrifice. To God, his exceeding joy. The true place where there's contentment and fulfillment. He wants to praise him with the liar. He wants to use what God's given him in gifts to bring glory to him in his presence. And he wants to praise my God. Oh God, my God. The one he worships. His personal deity. He wants to praise God. Is this the true purpose of deliverance? Is this the purpose of God bringing us out of circumstances so that we can worship him? Is this the purpose of gifts? Of suffering? Biblically, the answer is yes. Suffering, lament, difficulties, mourning, blessings are all meant to bring us back this place of worship in God's dwelling. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God, not because he's going to make things better or make me happier or bring me contentment in his gifts. Rather, hope in God because we're going to praise him again. We're going to worship him again. Let me give you some points in application as we close. Number one is our deepest desire during difficulties to be back in the presence of the Lord. So our deepest desire during difficulties is to be back in the presence of the Lord. I think as humans we, we interact with people and have difficulties with people and our reaction is to be away from them and to have distance from them. I think we can't do that with God. I know we can't do that with God. That when there's difficulties and questions and whys and what are you doings, that those need to lead us back into his presence. They do that the psalmist illustrates for us that doubt is okay. But the purpose and point of doubt is not to bring us away from the Lord into a place of grumbling and complaining. It's to bring us to him. Our exceeding joy It's to bring us to his dwelling. It's to bring us to worship of him. During our seasons of deep distress and difficulties is our heart longing for the Lord. And is our flesh saying, no, let's stay away, using him as the source for hurt rather than the source for healing? Do we rest in the truth that his presence is the ultimate goal? In his presence, there is satisfaction. There is joy. That's the unique thing about heaven. That's what heaven is so enticing for is because we're going to be in his presence forever. So if that's where there's healing and removing of things like pain and suffering and tears and mourning and crying, why wouldn't we go to that now and say, hey, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of chaos and questions and wondering, God, what are you doing Maybe we need to be in his presence. Maybe that's the place that we're supposed to be drawn to. Point number two when the Lord feels distant, do you long for him or are you angered by him? What do you do to draw near? I think that the psalmist illustrates for us a good uh, form of questioning, wondering, God, what are you doing? What's going on in the situation? Where are you? Where is my God? Like the, the enemies ask. But I don't think that it's anger. I think it's questioning. And I think that his his imitation of, I'm going to be back in your presence, shows that. I think the, the big difference here and I mentioned this earlier between Old Testament and New Testament is in the Old Testament they're going to the temple to be in that presence. In the New Testament we can be in our rooms and be in that presence. The Holy Spirit's given us that. So I think when we long for God that He's right there. When we desire to be near to Him we don't have to travel to Jerusalem although you can come to Israel with us if you'd like. Um He's here now. That's one of the funny things we joke about with that song, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fill this place and flood the... He's already here. Nobody had to invite him. He didn't, he's not waiting for our invitation. Um, God's presence is here. And so when your heart is in this position of, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What's going on around me? Why does it seem like the enemy is winning? Can you vindicate me? Can you bring me salvation? Can I find refuge in you? But the answer is Yes. Right now you can do that. Right now. I work with a lot of youth, a lot of um, high schoolers. I love that age. Um, And one of the things that's unique about that age is they're learning to pray and learning to walk on their own. Um, And so there's a lot of times where you have those conversations of, I don't know how to start. And I think that the answer of, "I I don't know how to start, is to talk to him. He already knows what you're thinking and feeling anyway. So begin. God, this is what I'm feeling. But I do know these truths about you. That's also the unique thing here about the psalmist is that he knows those truths about God. Uh, I keep reminding the high schoolers and the junior highers and now the young adults that we need to know who God is. So when situations like this rise up, we don't say, does God bring refuge? Is God salvation? We can say, no, we know those things are true about God, like the psalmist says. So we can hope in God. So know the God you serve and know your Bible. So that way, when difficulty arises, you're not left spiraling. Number three, when circumstances are bleak, do we ask the Lord for his help? Do we ask the Lord for his help or do we complain? How do we respond when present circumstances are bad? Is the help we envision being in the presence of God? Is that what we see as help? There has been a lot of reasons to complain and grumble in the past year. And I think that unfortunately the enemy has won with some of those that we we are of all people most to be hopeful. Be in the presence of the Lord. Long to be there. Long to be where there's no joy, there's no mourning or crying or pain anymore, where there's true joy and exceeding joy, where there's salvation and where there's refuge. If that's the reality in Revelation 22 of our future, and that's where we're looking forward to and, and where we're aiming our lives, why would we not do that now? You can be in the presence of God now. Do we look to the future of peace and proximity to the Lord? Or is that not what we see as better circumstances? I've had several conversations with students where we've walked through them trying to fix things in their own lives. Trying to fix this. If I find this, if I get this, then things will be better and things will be okay. Sometimes I ask them, do you think that you're going to do a better job with your life than God is? And this is the unique thing between high school and being an adult, is that a high schooler will say, yeah, I do. And know that it's wrong. An adult, me, I will say, no. Why would I think that? While my actions show the opposite. Do you think that you're going to do a better job with your life than God is? Seek his presence, long to be in his presence. We have two songs in closing. So if you thought we were going to end early today, joke's on you. (laughs) The first song we're going to sing is a song called SOS by We the Kingdom. This is uh, special music. And so um, we're going to have the lyrics up on screen. You're welcome to sing along if you'd like to, but we'd ask that you listen. The unique thing about this song is that there is no resolution. Rather, it's stating... Where the songwriter is and what they're feeling. And we're going to end with a song we sing together, My Living Hope, because ultimately we know the answer to this state of distress and difficulty. That Jesus is our living hope. And in Him we have refuge and we have salvation and we have vindication. So when the enemy feels like they're winning and when they ask, Where is your God? and we wonder the same thing. We have hope. We rest in the truth of who Jesus is. So join us as we sing these last two songs. Let me pray in closing. Lord, we know that you are a living hope. We know that to be true. We long and desire to be in your presence. Lord, help that to be our heart cry constantly. To be in your presence where there's exceeding joy. Lord, in the midst of difficulties in this room, help that longing to be present, to be near you, to be near your dwelling, with your people singing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.